Join me on my journey as I explore wealth in all areas of life. I'm your host, Mindy Kinnis, and this is The Lucrative Society. All right, all right. I have my friend Ifoma Ibekwe with me here today. Ify, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Mindy. I'm so excited to be here with you. I am so excited to have you here with me. You and I, in some capacities, have a lot in common. And then in some capacities, it's like totally different. You have four children, which I'm all <laughs> like, I have none. <laughs> so honestly, I don't know how you get anything done. And yet, I think you are way more productive, way more uh, active than I am. <laughs> so <laughs> this is what I want to talk about Yes. Today. Let's talk about it. One of the things that I want to start with, just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better, can you give them a little bit of your career brushstrokes? Just talk mm-hmm. about what you're up to and kind of where you came from to get there. So I am an estate planning lawyer, which is different from a real estate lawyer. I make um, help people create wills and trusts and other documents to protect themselves and their agency and also to build generational wealth and all that jazz. I've been a lawyer. This is my um, 14th year practicing law. And prior to opening up my own firm, I worked for education nonprofits for about 11 years. And then three years ago, after having my third child, as you mentioned, I have so many, <laughs> I decided to set up my own shingle because I really have a, an, a strong calling to help women build impactful legacies. So um, I really consider myself a business woman who happens to practice law right now. But in other parts of my life, that would be the common thread is that I, I genuinely am a champion for women's women's rights, equity, um, pay, all those things light me up. And and that's the common thread throughout everything I do. So I love that so much, especially because as you know, in my situation with my husband passing away last Mm -hmm. year, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to talk to more people who are in that business of estate planning and wills, et cetera, because it is so important I I am so delighted that we did all that stuff. Like I am Mm -hmm. so grateful that we did, but could you just speak to, I mean, you know this way better than I do, the importance and, and really necessity of putting those things into place. Right. And I'll just start with the statistics. I think a recent study came out um, in 2020 that says 70% of Americans do not have a will in place much less any kind of estate planning documentation. And I really take the blame as an estate planning lawyer, as a legal professional, when it comes to equity and making sure that people have access to the information. We are failing really, really badly in this area. And so the way um, I think about it, when I talk to people, when I talk to potential clients, I hear a lot of shame and like regret And especially when it comes to parents that, oh, I can't believe I haven't done this. I'm just so embarrassed that I'm here and I have a 10-year-old and we still haven't done this. I just say, look, this is always the right time. You're actually in the 30%. So flip the narrative and know that it is truly a gift to your 
generations to to figure out what they can do with all that you've amassed in this life and not only upon death but figure out how to help you in case of an emergency right you want to be able to have that voice like if there's a health issue we're in the middle of a global pandemic as of um you know 2020 has been quite a year but you know there are always things that pop up that might have you not able to make decisions for yourself and the best thing to do is to always have your wishes written out so that people know how to help you. And that's something that I really, I really strongly push. Forget about not doing it in the past. Get out there, do it now, do it correctly, because it not only helps you, but you can also leave on a great legacy by setting this up for other people to benefit from you. And, and that part to me, I mean, it just lights me up. I'm like, there's no, there's nothing I want to do right now except that. So, yeah. Well, I'm so, like I said, I'm so happy that you feel that way about it because I feel so strongly about it, but I, I am not in a state planning. <laughs> so I'm not in the position to do that other than to say, people, this is so crucial and so important. What would you say though? Cause one of the things that I've heard from my friends, as I've been talking about, whether it's estate planning or even just wealth management, the concept that they have is, well, I'll get to that when I have wealth, money, when I have wealth, like when, <laughs> when I, I make have it to talk about. And I'm like, right. no, do it now. Absolutely. I mean, the idea, again, I go back to the bad branding. You know, when you think of estate planning, you think of like Scrooge McDuck, if you ever watch DuckTales, <laughs> swimming in his coins of money. You think of like that old crusty white man with balding head, like just counting his money with his accountant. That kind of frame of, of reference is what we all have seen. That's what comes to mind when you even think about the word estate. It just sounds so like Hilton-ish, like I'm a Hilton, you know? <laughs> and that's absolutely not the case. Everyone has an estate. You are your own estate. And then it's comprised of your person, all of your bank accounts, all of your property, physical property. I would say, look around the room, the art on the wall, the books on your shelf, everything is part of your estate, which means that something has to be done if you're ever hurt or when you die with all that stuff. And whether or not you want to wait till you're a multimillionaire to do so or not, it doesn't take away the fact that you have an estate and decisions will be made, whether you are part of them or not. Because if you don't set up an estate plan, what each and every state in the United States does is they have a scheme to figure out what to do with you, whether that's how to care for you if you're injured. So they find family or, or people who can take care of you or, um, what to do with your stuff if you don't give any instructions on how to do it. So it doesn't really require you having a house even or a car. Like I mentioned before, just having a body and wanting to make decisions, like if you can't audibly speak or if you're incapacitated or not able to consent, you want to do all of that stuff beforehand. And that applies to everyone so that some hospital board is not deciding what to do with you because they don't know who your contacts are. I mean, it's horrific. The other side of it is so disempowering that, you know, a couple of conversations and signing some documents and getting sure that what you want is written down is just so worth it. And it, it helps because what I see a lot of is when my clients come in with family members who haven't done anything and they're like, oh my gosh, where do I even start? It's so hard. It's like a part-time job when you don't have instructions or know where 
anything is. So I know. I, I, say I would say that it's like a full-time job, even when you do know those things. <laughs> like right. it, it it's a process. Easy. It is a, mm -hmm. a challenging experience. To yes, it is. And it can be very expensive too. Um, it's expensive when you have instructions. It can be very expensive when you don't. And you could actually lose property and all these sorts of things because nobody really has the time to close down your life for you. So that part is really sad. Yeah, I mean, just thinking about putting that burden of responsibility onto other people, that that frustrates me. You know, that is yes. annoying to me. Like, I look at my friends who are saying, oh, well, I'll get to that eventually. I'm like, no, like, do not put that on your spouse or yes. your children or whomever, because it's going to be hard enough if you were to pass away on them. You don't want to add to that experience. Yeah. And part of what I do when I um, educate my clients is it's not just work, it's not just paperwork, which is why I don't like legal zooms and that sort of, oh, I'll just do it for $99 because your life and all that you work for and you, the decisions that are affecting you are more than $99 worth of stuff. I mean, okay. instead of looking at it as a thing to get a bargain or a deal from, look at it as a way to make sure that you have a voice in decisions that affect you. And there might be a cost to that, you know, and um, the educational part also includes how to talk to your family and friends to encourage them about why it's important to do so and have these like Thanksgiving or Christmas conversations when you're around family to explain what you've done and why you've chosen to do so. And really just empower those around you as well because look i mean it's gonna something's gonna happen to everybody <laughs> you know i don't want to be doom and gloom and i certainly come from a place of joy when i speak of estate planning especially when you have time and the the ability to to make decisions for yourself because when you lose your capacity or you're not able to that's when you get the sad stories and i think a lot of people have trauma from those experiences maybe with a parent or a sibling or friend who didn't do anything and what that did to them, you know, that, that can also be a paralyzing uh, force on people. So I'm definitely heart centered and know that it's a definitely a trauma informed response and <laughs> not punitive and shaming. So. Yeah. Well, I think that's so, so lovely to bring to something that often is just looked at like paperwork and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I got to pay my lawyer and all, all of that. Yeah people's assumptions now but here's the thing Ify, you are not just an estate lawyer you are <laughs> one of the biggest badasses that i know because you are the only black female estate i think i am the only black female estate planning attorney at least in central texas and when i say that i don't mean that there are no black attorneys that do wills and trusts in my area, but this is all I do. I mean, singularly focused in this area of the law, even within the whole scope of law, so few attorneys do estate planning because it's considered like, again, the stereotype, you gotta be super wealthy clients and it's like an old white guy game um, and they pass it on to their sons and their nephews type, you know, stereotype, very, you don't get a lot of women in the area. And you certainly, when it boils down to just people of color, black women are probably like, we're only 5% of lawyers in the whole country and probably less than a percent of that demographic does estate planning. So I am a unicorn and I love it. <laughs> I love it too. But I want to change it also. I have, I have ideas on how to change that. But yeah, I think in central Texas, I am the only 
um, sole estate planning attorney. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and Central Texas is big. I mean, Austin, I think I'm the only one in Austin for sure, for sure, because I've looked. I think that that, that is generally a problem. <laughs> I yeah. agree. I mean, that I want to celebrate you for that and also say, yes, it is a problem in that let's, you know, let's raise up all of these other people that have such a powerful and important perspective right. in that game. You know, not only is it about having the legal background and whatever, but a, a whole different voice, a whole different perspective. So I'm like, yes, woman, keep rocking. Yes. <laughs> so talk to me about this. One of the reasons that I started this podcast was to work on my own journey with money heal my own relationship with money. I would love to know from your perspective, how do you think about money? I have, I love this question, first of all. I have a very expansive view on money and um, the abundance. <laughs> yes, so the abundance of it. I, I often have this conversation with my husband about how there really is no limit to money, right? A lot of the limitations that we have about money and the availability or scarcity of it come from mindset. And yes, there are physical needs that people have related to money. And I'm not one of those people who is just like, oh, manifested, woo-woo, all that. No, but there is a level of your mentality with money that can affect your ability to go out and make money, find ways to create things that bring you money, um, just have creative ideas about what you can do to get more money. And it's taken me a long time and it's definitely not one of those things that, uh, you know, one day I just sprang upon this. And I've done <laughs> right. a lot of reading about mindset. And one of the books that I absolutely love is Carol Dwick's book, Mindset, yes. for lack of a better name. Um, has such powerful insight on a fixed versus a growth mindset and that when you apply that to money, it's phenomenal. I actually thought I was doing really well in business because I, I do a lot of sales for estate planning and it's, it's, I don't think it's expensive actually what I do. I think it's very values based and priced appropriately for what I deliver but um, one of the things I was having troubles, trouble with was just closing all my leads. I mean, no one does 100%, but closing a higher percentage. And I hired a sales coach. And so much of what we talked about in asking people for the sale, in following up, not thinking like that sales call was your only chance for yes, but how to engage people beforehand and also afterward if they don't say yes at your sales call had me I completely sorry i have kids everywhere so they <laughs> it's might real life it is real uh, they will appear on this you will hear all <laughs> kinds of noise on every podcast i'm on um but it really just had me like shaking in my boots because i thought i had come so far with money mindset mm. and i realized that um i had to actually dissociate myself from someone not saying yes immediately or saying no because it wasn't a failing on my part to make money, right? They may have their own money issues or they may have other things that are a priority in their lives for, for whatever reason. And that's kind of how I have to, I have to look at every aspect of my life, you know, figuring out 
what money story I'm telling myself, whether this is something I'm picking up from childhood when my parents told me, you know, our house is very expensive or whatever. And then I thought, oh my gosh, in order to have an expensive house, you have to work very hard and you have to like do all these things because only people who work hard have expensive house. Oh, you know, <laughs> all these stupid stories or it's very hard to make money. And if you're not working nonstop and grinding all the time and hustling, you will never make it. And people who don't make it or, or who have money have worked hard for it. That's not true. That's not necessarily true. And so I, I've, I've done constant work on money mindset. As you know, we're both fans of Rachel Rogers and she has a whole first course and you talk about money before you can even enter other parts of her program. And it's like, oh, I don't need to talk about money. And then I got in there and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh I need this. <laughs> I'm going to do this one again. But yeah, that's just generally my, my view of money is that it is a limitless resource. I love that. It's um, available to all, you know, even like from a biblical perspective, when I think of money, like God talks about owning the cattle on a thousand hills, which was like the idea of like limitless wealth in cattle. You know, it's like a Texan. It's like, yes, like a rancher. You know what I mean? Like with a thousand ranches and cattle on every hill. You know, that's a lot of money. And that's kind of how I feel. I'm just like, it's available and it can absolutely be mine. You know, I have a really funny story. Um, my business is expanding because I want a national law firm. So I'm moving to Arkansas next month. We don't have a house, but I know that there are houses and we will get one um, in three weeks. That sounds really crazy. But one of the things that I'm so happy about moving there for is because they have wonderful fertile land and I want a farmhouse. Oh, Yes. A modern farmhouse. I've actually found one that I, I, I can see myself buying. I don't know if it's the house, but it's on about five acres. It's completely modern farmhouse, and it has a barn that's like a modern barn that could be converted into like space for guests or rented out. I don't know what we would do with it, but I showed it to my husband and I said, "This is our house. I know it's a one point four million dollars, but I feel like in a couple of years we will buy it." You know, that's just how I feel. I don't have that money, but that money is not far away from me. It's very available. And so that's just a mindset shift I've had. I don't worry about the pieces lining up and how I will get there. If I get there, I won't be shocked. That's kind of how I feel about money. Uh, or when you get there. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm like literally that house or a house that I get on another piece of land. Yes. Yeah, when. totally. It's like that idea, this or better. So or, that house yeah. or better. Absolutely. Why not? And we can put in a runway because my husband wants to fly. And so like, let's keep going. That's how I feel about money. I, I could not love that more. So let me ask you this. I have a framework question that I ask everybody on this show. It's based on an acronym of HERB, H-E-R-B. And I'll walk you through each step. So the H stands for habits. What are some of your habits that allow you to be as productive as you are, allow you to get things done and, and maintain your sanity, <laughs> all of that? One of the habits that I have, exercise. I love exercising. But you know how we have people who talk about like the 5 a.m. club and they get up and they da 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 and they meditate and they do, not me. do a really hard workout. I don't do any of that. Me neither. But what I do do regularly is I love to exercise. And so there, um, 
certain days of the week that I know that I have to get some exercise in or I'm just like my whole, I got to get in my body. So even if it's a long walk, like two hour walk or an hour bike ride, I like to road cycle. I'm about to take up my mountain biking or, you know, to like today I jumped, we got an inflatable castle because my daughter turned five. Oh, and fun. so I, I set the timer and I did 10 minutes because I knew like I would just die. I don't have the energy of, of a five-year-old, <laughs> but you know, just stuff to get in my body. I make time for that each day. I also do devotionals each day and they're mindset devotionals. And so it'll have a prompt and talk about some, um, like I, I'm a Christian, so it's like based on a scripture, but it's very mindset expansive. It, like some people might call it like manifestation, actualization, that sort of line of it, not like thinking small. It's actually like thinking really big. And uh, one of my strengths is being a futuristic uh, thinker, a visionary type. And I'll just do an exercise just to get myself, like if things are going bad, I'm still gonna do that no matter when it is in the day like that's just something that centers me and then um another habit that i have is it's i don't know if this is a habit or just a skill it's like i've just blocked my time really well so i know that from 10 to 2 every day except friday i work right the rest of the time i'm not really too strict on what i do so i could be spending time with my kids i could be doing other things that maybe don't seem productive and that might include work or reading a book, but I know that I have 16 hours each week that I've set aside to work. So what my framework is, is just a little bit looser, right? Than other people who are very strict in scheduling because my kids don't care anything about my schedule. They don't care about my sleep. So if I need to sleep until 9.30, I have a great husband and um, my mom's with us right now, or we should say we're with her. Um, <laughs> and so I have other hands on deck and I'll adjust accordingly and maybe work out later or um, nearer in, you know, whenever. So I don't really, I'm not really a strict habits person because I don't want to feel like I'm failing because they're not ritualistic, like at 5 a.m. or at 7 p.m. I No, I don't do any of that. I don't have the luxury of that in this phase of life, but I do fit it in just about every single day. Well, I think that, you know, the habit doesn't have to be at a certain time. It yeah. can be as you get to it, it's just the things that, that you do consistently. So actually yeah. your, your response leads us directly into the E, which is environment. Mm -hmm. How do you set up your environment to even focus when like, uh, I got to breastfeed the baby. I got to, yes. I mean, all this craziness. Yes. <laughs> How do you yes. set up your environment? And the best thing that happens to me and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not able to like be away from my children. Like I, I have in the past where I used to go to my office every day. Right. And so working at home with everybody at home in this season has been something that is an adjustment. And I had a conversation with my husband and I let him know, listen, 10 to two, I don't care what you do with them, but I'm not available. Now I will take breaks to breastfeed my baby um, because she's got to eat and she can't go four hours at her age right now. But my older kids know, and I'm recording this podcast on a Saturday, but I lock the door. <laughs> I'm not available to anyone. Um, I'm muting sometimes to yell about people keeping the noise down. We are trying to have a recording, but you know, it's one of those things. I also, when I do sales calls, 
I let my clients now know, hey, I'm at home. A child might knock on the door. I don't want you to be startled if a baby shows up in the call. I just set expectations differently. But I really do try and preserve my work time because that's when I meet with my staff members. That's when I do my sales calls. That's when I like to sit in my mastermind calls with other entrepreneurs. And yeah, every so often someone might make an appearance, but I really, that has really just distilling time. You know, you think about Tim Ferriss and the four hour work week. I wish I were a single white guy who could live in San Francisco and like make my brewed coffee every morning and meditate by the Golden Gate Bridge, but I'm not. But I do take some of the concepts and do believe that the 40 hour work week is such bull and nobody's really working uh, eight, nine hours a day productively. So I distill my time and I get, that's how I get stuff done is that I shut myself in my little environment and I say, do not disturb me and set everything I can within that time frame, and, and go from there. I really appreciate just the authenticity that you bring to that conversation of like, look, I am at home. My kids are here too. They're going to be loud. They're going to be, you yes. know, whatever is going on is going on. And I think that allows other people who don't maybe feel as comfortable being authentic or being even vulnerable in that space to also show up as like, this is real life people. So I totally appreciate that yes. about you so much. So moving on to the R, the R stands for resources and resources could be books or whatever. You mentioned Carol Dweck already. I'm a huge fan oh. of her and mindset, but what, what else you got? What are some of the resources that have impacted you the most and that you would recommend to others? Oh my gosh, I'm an avid reader. I know, that's why um, I'm like, we could talk about this one for hours. <laughs> oh, business strategy books. Although I have to make my disclaimer that we need more books by women, okay? Listen, 100%. these guys with wives, <laughs> of course they've seized the whole world. Like, I need a wife. <laughs> I need a wife too. Taking care of these kids so I could like, can you imagine if I had a wife? Like, I would be killing it. Uh, sleeping through the night, all yeah, that's when I'll start with sleep and the importance of it. I think you've mentioned um, the sleep book. Uh, yes. I totally did because I was like, woman, you need to read this book. Why yes. we sleep? Exactly. Sleep is paramount. I'm, I actually am doing another time study to see how much sleep I'm getting. And I've been averaging like a good seven hours a night, which means I will sleep in if my baby, for example, is up. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to be sleeping until nine because I was up till one or till 10 because I was up to two because that's when my body, I don't even set an alarm unless I have a meeting. And so as long as I can wake up and get ready for a 10, no meetings before 10, right? So sleep is so huge. In fact, we are moving, but the first thing we're going to do is hire a sleep consultant because it's a new space, new environment. Let's get everybody in and know what they're supposed to be doing at night. I have a seven, five, three, and seven month old. So that's four people that could actively disturb your sleep or have their sleep disturbed by one of the people being out of whack. So um, sleep is a resource, period. We need more. I um, love the, yes. Yes, sleep is revolution, um, especially, especially for when we are creatives and generating ideas. You have to rest. It's like working out. You can't work out every day because at some point your body has to regenerate and rest those muscles and like renew and just, it's just sleep does that. That's why we need it. 
The other books I would recommend, right now I'm reading a book called Leapfrog, and it is by a woman, um, I believe her last name is Molina Nino, and she's a venture capitalist. And she talks about how um, entrepreneurial women, especially women of color, especially Black women and Latinas, do not get funded for business projects, yet Black women are one of the highest generating business. Um, they have to have businesses a lot of times because of discrimination in the workforce forces us out and starting our own businesses. So we tend to create businesses at a higher rate than any other demographic, yet we are not funded. I think the, the percentage when she wrote the book was zero, which is an absolute absurdity. And so I am reading that right now. I'm loving the heck out of it. Another book that I'm reading, I just put it on my list. It's called um, Trainwreck. And it's the concept of how women are elevated just to be torn down. So they have um, examples of people like Whitney Houston and Britney Spears and... Um, other women you can think of right now, and Lizzo might be one of them, who we elevate just to cheer down. And I love books like this, especially when they're written from a, a woman's perspective, because you can so identify with what they're saying as an entrepreneur or as a woman. Um, when you up, then you get the haters, and then you get people who are questioning why you're even, even taking up space. So those things really fuel me and drive me and, and that sort of thing. And so um, with respect to like the other, I've, I've done all the, the dude books, you know, four hour work week, right. free to focus, Michael Hyatt books, wonderful resources. But a lot of times you start seeing like just regenerating the same stuff. I really get motivated by innovative um, ideas or ideas that are just tailored more to women. Because that's, like I told you, that's my thing. I want to activate women to leave impactful legacies. So anything that feeds that fuel just gets me going and gets me um, really excited. And then other resources, I, I am in a mastermind um, where it's not a mastermind, it's a membership. We should all be millionaires. I am in a collective of amazing you know, diverse, inclusive, female identifying men, all sorts of people, honestly, don't even know who the majority would be, who are in business all over the world. And I am beyond inspired. And so those are those sorts of things that are just fueling me right now. I love it. I mean, that's where we met. So I'm like, absolutely. Ooh. That's why I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That is so good. So to round out this acronym, the B in herb stands for beliefs. What are some of your, your core beliefs or even the way in which you see the world that allows you to do all the cool stuff that you're up to? I believe that I can. And the world yes. is available, period. Or ellipses. I don't know what it is. Whatever I want to write into it is a possibility. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. It doesn't mean that I'm going to manifest it, but I believe that everything is available to me and that my skin color and my, um, my sex organs do not dictate how far I will go in this life and that I am going to be a multimillionaire. And I just keep on going like, yes, of course, <laughs> you know, like yeah, I have or, no limits. Or they do dictate. And the reason they dictate is because it's, it's that power and that force that you have as a woman, as a black woman, like 
I say use that, you know, <laughs> like use that to absolutely. I, I love that. Yes. I have to, I have to operate. It sounds like a herd of elephants in my house. I have to operate as if everything is available to me. That's how I operate. Like everything is available to me, even when things tell me it's not, or like the wider powers that be put out, you know, that and say that, oh no, no, that's not for you. I just naturally, and maybe it's because I'm Nigerian and we are tend to be very proud people. I believe that that is, does not apply to me. <laughs> so that's the belief that I have for your beef. <laughs> Good. I mean, and I want other people to know that too. Yeah, I, I love that. So tell me this, this has been totally awesome. I've loved this conversation. If people are interested in learning more about you or seeing what you're up to or your work, where would you like to send them? You can find me on Instagram at the Justin Case Lawyer. Um, you can also find me on my personal website, ifyibekwe.com, and I'm sure you'll have show notes, <laughs> um, where I'm actually launching a course to, and then we talked about it a little bit earlier, to help other lawyers set up estate planning practices that are profitable and serve um, a demographic in a joyful manner and just kind of change the narrative of how we set up wills and trusts and, and provide them to the entire world. That's what I want to do next. And so uh, you can find out more about me um, on my personal website. And also I have a YouTube channel. You can just put in Ify Ibekwe to watch my videos about estate planning and other things. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I just want to thank you so much. You're a total rock star. I totally appreciate your time and your wisdom. Thanks for being here on the show. Thank you, Mindy. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Lucrative Society on iTunes. And please leave a review of the podcast. Visit lucra.com for transcripts and resources or to become a member of The Lucrative Society where I coach purpose-based entrepreneurs on business, mindset, and heartset. Lucra, where wealth equals well-being.